I want to start a new series today as we're heading into Easter and beyond. And if you'll pull out your sermon notes, you can kind of see the title of it is history. But it's not just history. I've kind of emphasized the first part. It's his story. His story. You know, there are a lot of storylines going on in this universe. Most are very small and petty and full of drama and quickly forgotten like a Spanish telenovela. You ever watched one of those? I've got uh, 13-year-old Mackenzie is living in our house the last few months, and she's kind of got me hooked on this uh, Disney show. It's on Netflix, and, it, and it's called Violetta. And what it is, it's an Argentine telenovela for, for teenagers that's dubbed into English. And um, we were watching, and we watched about, you know, kind of binged on it, watched about 25 shows, and I thought, wow, we must be coming close to the end. And I had her look to see how many there were. There are 240 episodes. 240 episodes. 240 episodes. But it's so interesting because you can see that, you know, and, and if you've ever watched a Spanish telenovela, it's like way over drama, you know? It, it, it's like, no puede ser. Dios mío. Those kind of, I mean, it's just like way overacted, you know? And uh, this is interesting because it's dubbed into to English to try to do that. Some of our lives are like that. Our lives, it's just, it's full of drama. It's petty. It's small. Let me tell you something. There's one story in the universe, one storyline that's so epic, that's so huge, that's so big that's so amazing and overwhelming that it's worth giving our life to. It's the one we were meant to give our lives to. And I hate to break this to you this morning so early. I mean, you came out in the rain and the tornadoes and whatever else there was going on, right? I hate to break this to you, but the story is not about you. It's not about us. We, we tend to live our lives as if you know, the story is all about us. It's about our happiness and, and our fulfillment. And worst of all, we read the Bible a lot of times as if it's all about us. And, and we have this tendency to, to do that. I mean, it, and it, admit it now, in every one of the great stories of the Bible, where do you see yourself? I, I mean, as the hero, right? You are not David. Your problems are not Goliath. See, we try to read ourselves into that, but the truth is, if you were David, you would have missed with all five stones you picked up out of the little creek. And, and if we were to really read it, if we're going to get it at all, the story would be that Jesus is like David, and sin and death is Goliath, and he defeated sin and death for us. Because where would we find ourselves really in that David and Goliath story? We would be the Israelites cowering in the corner, right, going, a giant Dios mío, right? I mean, that's more the truth. But we have this tendency to, to put ourselves into the big pictures. You see, if we don't understand this, the reason why this is so important is because when it's our time, and can I just tell you, all of us are going to have an hour time when life seems completely unfair, when everything falls apart, when we can't understand what God is doing at all, 
we're just going to be confused. We're not going to understand because we felt like the story's about us. The big implication of this, if the story is not about you, then you are not the center of the universe. And I believe we miss joy. We miss the joy that God intended because we've misunderstood the whole point of the story. Let me give you an example, marriage. The story of marriage, the big story, the story that is part of that, that huge, awesome storyline is that marriage is meant to portray how much Jesus loves the church to the world and how much the church loves Jesus. But see, we've kind of changed up. So it becomes about the faithfulness of God, but somehow it becomes all about you, me. I mean, we want to say really... Honestly, if God knew the woman I was married to, he would have added an extra chapter in there just about me, right? I mean, there would have been a verse in there that said something like, and this is true except for Mark because he's married to Laura. No, really, it would have been the other way around, except for Laura because she's married to Mark. Get that. But the Bible is not about us. It's for us. It's the story of what God is doing in the universe, and we get to be part of it. We get to be in the story. So when God says, this is how marriage works, or this is how sex works, or this is how rest works, or this is how money works, it's how he designed the universe to work. And the more that you line your life up with how the universe really was created to work, the more joy you will have. Almost all the conflict in your life is because you believe the story is about you. The reason that you get angry in the community of faith parking lot when all of the other lines begin to move on the way out from church and yours just sits there. Have you noticed that? And you get angry, I'm never coming to this church again. It's because it feels like it's about us. But it's not about us. And that's what... God is, is trying to help us see conflict in marriage is because it's about you. Conflict at work because it's about you. My rights, my happiness. Why is this important? Because I think we're going to see this is a huge truth that God's just really opened up to me in my, just in the last couple of months. And it's really made an impact on me. The more the story is about you, the more angry and tired you will be. The more the world is not about you, the more free, the less stressed you're going to be. A a great example of this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, you look at his life, it was like, it's crazy how he lived his life. I mean, he's following God and obeying him. And he's saying, God, I want, and God sends him out to be this missionary. And so he goes on this journey. And as he's going, what happens? He's in the middle of God's will going and the shipwrecks. And he's floating in the, in the sea for three days. And then finally they float up close to this island and they're able to swim the shore. And, and they begin to gather wood for the island and a snake bites him. About that time if I was Paul I would have gone, really God? I mean seriously God? I'm trying to follow you. And, and, but Paul just shakes the snake off into the fire. It's a poisonous snake. They think boy this guy must have really done some bad stuff. Because even though he escaped the sea. He's going to die anyway, but he didn't die. And then they wanted to hear what he had to say. But people would come up to Paul, you know, like rulers and say, I'm going to put you 
in jail. And he says, well, good, I'll, I'll, I'll sing praises to God and maybe an earthquake will come, you know? I'm going to kill you. Well, to, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was understanding the huge, big story. And see, a lot of us here today, we know how to do the Christian game. We know Christian ease. I know because we do it all the time with each other. You know, I see you uh, at uh, Kroger or Target sometimes, you know, and we'll always say, how you doing? And we'll both go blessed, right? Blessed. And have a blessed day, Pastor, you know? The truth is, we should say, really tired, fatigued, worn out. Not so great, right? But we've been living a telenovela for so long. It's way too small. It's way too petty. Because we thought it was all about us. Well, it's almost Easter. And in that last week of Jesus' life, there were some crazy things that happened. I want us to look at that. We're leading up to Easter. Next week I'll talk about Palm Sunday, but there's a picture there that I want you to see that's incredible. But today, I, I, I want you to hear Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem to die, and he knows it. And one of, the, one of the last parables that he tells is one that's a real head-scratcher to me. I mean, I've always thought, I don't get it, you know? But recently, it, it, I've kind of begun to understand it a little bit. Pull out your sermon notes there. I, I put it down there for you. Or you can turn in your Bibles if you would like. To Matthew 19 and 20. We'll look at the Matthew 19, 29 through 2016. A few verses, but you got to get the whole parable in there, okay? What's happened is the rich young ruler has just come up to Jesus and said, uh, What do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, Well, it's all about me. It's all about the relationship with me. So sell everything you have and come follow me. That's what you need to do. And he went away sad. Because he had a lot of stuff and he didn't want to get rid of it. And then the disciples look and say, well, wow, who can follow Jesus? What about us? All of us who've followed you so hard, what's going to happen to us? And that's where we pick up in verse 29. Jesus says, and everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or or farms for my namesake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. And then he says a proverb. That only Jesus says, but he says it many times. He says it over and over, and we hear it, and you've heard it before. And I want us to look at it real close because this proverb, he says it on each side of the parable. So what I think, he's telling us a proverb, and then he's given a parable to help us understand it, and then he's saying the proverb again, so we really get it. Now, this must be important. It's the last week of his life, all right? So look at that, verse 30. It says, but many, Jesus said, but many who are first in this world will be last in the world to come and the last first. I want to make sure we get this proverb right before we even go any further, okay? You know, translators, this was, Jesus is speaking in Aramaic. It it was written down in Greek and it's been translated into English for us. And, And so the Greek is super accurate. The English, you know, a translator has to try to get the feel. And so you kind of have to understand what the story's about. And, and this one, a lot of times, has not been understood so clearly. If you look at what Jesus really said here, I want you to just circle the things that he really said. He said, but, this is the literal Greek, first will be last and the last first. 
Circle those words. That's really what he said. The rest of it, the translator stuck in because he's trying to help us understand it. Okay? And, and I think maybe sometimes it's a, 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 he missed it just a little bit there. Because what Jesus said, first will be last and last will be first. I, I remember understanding this more about translation when I was working as a missionary in Mexico. Because uh, to translate, you have to kind of get the context. And sometimes like these old, uh, old school evangelists would come in. And I would listen to the, I'd sit in the service and listen to the interpreter. And the interpreter would like miss it because the evangelist would be saying stuff like, and I grabbed the horns of the altar. And the interpreter in Spanish is over there going like, uh, I, I think there's like a bull now, a bull. He's got a bull and he's got some horns and he's holding the horns. I guess that's so the bull won't get him, I'm thinking, you know. And, and, and then he, he goes on and says, and I was washed in the blood of the lamb. Oh, now there's blood. There's a lot of blood. Something about a bathtub full of blood. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, he would go on and, and he would say, ask the Lord for a hedge of protection around me. Now he's hiding in the bushes. He's in the bushes, probably hiding from the bull now. So this is what they're getting, you know. And, and, and the guy's saying something totally different. At the end of the service, he'll say, many of you have unspoken prayer requests. If you have an unspoken prayer, and he's saying, now he's going to read your mind. Don't say it out loud. I think he knows how to read your mind, you know. And, and it's like, no, that's not what you want to stand up and go, no, no, no. Well, here Jesus is saying, he literally just said, but first will be last and the last first. And then he says this. This is the parable. I didn't understand it. It's hard to get. It seems crazy at first. For the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of an estate who went out in the morning at dawn to hire workmen for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, 9 a.m., and saw them standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And they went. He went out about the sixth hour, noon, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, 5 p.m., he went out and find others, found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they answered him, because no one hired us. He told them, you go into the vineyard also. The Jewish work day was six days a week, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. basically. Dawn to dark. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last to be hired and ending with the first to be hired. Those who had been hired at the 11th hour, 5 p.m., came and received a denarius each. Now when the first to be hired came, they thought they would get more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they protested and grumbled at the owner of the state, saying, these men have worked, who came last worked for only one hour, and yet you've made them equal in wages to us who've carried most of the burden and worked in the scorching heat of the day. But the owner of the estate replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no injustice. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you. And go, I choose, but I choose to give to this last man hired the same as I give to you. Am I not lawfully permitted to do what I choose with what is mine? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So those who are last in this world shall be first in the world to come. Again, 
You see, I put it there, it's in brackets, in this world. So though, he actually said, so those who are last shall be first, and those who are first, last. Now, this is obviously not a parable about labor relations, right? Uh, it's a parable about the big story. And it's a real head scratcher at first, especially to us in America today. But I think it was to them too. You see, a denarius was the day's wage for a Roman soldier or a skilled worker. And these were day laborers. These are the lowest of the low. They have no skills. They live day to day. If they get hired, they eat. If they don't, they don't. They never get paid a denarius because that's for a skilled worker or a Roman soldier. So even the ones that work the whole 12 hours, this guy was being generous to. So, of course, they agreed. It said they agreed to it. You know, he said, I'll give you a denarius. He goes, okay, I'll do it, right? That sounds great. If they didn't work that day, they and their families are going to go hungry that night. One of the things this parable is trying to tell us is that, that, that only his story matters. He's sovereign. He gets to write. He wrote the story. He's writing the story. It's all about him. It goes back to him. And it's so interesting that when the 12-hour workers complain, he says, don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? So what's God's? Everything. How long you live. What's going to happen in your life. You know, all of these kind of things. They're all about God. It goes back to him. And he keeps saying, the last shall be first and the first last. What does that even mean? I want you to think about it a minute because this is where it came so real to me and I begin to really understand it. When you think about how, imagine running a race. Let's say there's you and me and eight others. There's 10 of us and we're in this race and we're running as fast as we can. How can I be first and last at the same time? You said the first will be last and the last first. That's literally what he said. That's what he meant. So what he's saying is the one who's in first will be last and the one who's last will be first. How can that happen? Only if we all cross the finish line at exactly the same time, right? If we cross the finish line at the same time, then I finish first. But I also finish last. Do you see what? Jesus is trying to say here he's trying to offer up something for us he's like hey we're all in this together this is a big story it's all about me it's all about God and it's all about the story that he's writing and I want you to be there I want you to be in there I want you to be a family together I want you to finish together I want you all to finish and I want you to finish together and I want us to do that the first will be last and the last first as we cross the line together it's a pretty big deal that we get that because that's such a picture of grace that it's all about God anyway the only way we ever even had the breath in our lungs to run the race it was his breath it was all about him Michael Scherer was in seminary and he had an unusual experience with grace he'd stayed up all night studying for his final exam and Man, he he was ready to ace it. I mean, he had taken copious notes all semester. He had an A in the class, and he wanted to finish with like the big A plus on the final. And so he pulled an all-nighter for this crazy theology class. And 
He knew there were some slackers there who hadn't studied very hard. And he didn't feel sorry for them, you know, because they hadn't studied. Uh, but they got to class. And then the professor said, before we start, I want you to know this is just going to be a fill-in-the-blank test. No multiple choice or anything. You just have to know the answer. Michael Scherer is thinking, well, I'm not worried about that. And then he began, he said, let me give you a little preview of what's going to be on the test. And he began to share what was going to be on the test. And Michael Scherer said, I began to panic. Because I'd never heard anything that he was talking about that he said was going to be on the test. And then he suddenly says, I know that this was not in any of your notes. But you remember the first day of class, I told you that you are responsible for anything in the textbook. And all of this is in the textbook. Well, Michael Scherer begins to panic. And and not only that, he's thinking, this is totally and completely unfair. And then the professor passes out the test. He said, I want you to keep the test face down on your desk until I say it's time to start. And so he's passing out the test, laying them face down on each desk. And Michael Scherer is starting to sweat. He's panicking. He's upset. And then he flips over the paper when when the teacher says, now you can turn it over. And he turned over and it. He's stunned. Every blank already has an answer in it. It's already been filled out. And at the bottom, it says, every answer on this test has been filled out for you and is correct. That is because the creator of this test, who can administer this test in any way that he wants to, has chosen to give you the answers For the test, every single one of you are going to get an A on the test. All the work you did or didn't do in preparing for the exam will not help you get the A. You have just experienced grace. Michael said he learned more about grace that day than from any of the theological classes he had ever taken at seminary. That's not fair. No, but thank God that's grace. I want you to notice in this little story, who initiates the relationship? It's God. Who is it that keeps going to the marketplace? It's God. That's what he's saying. He said, God keeps coming. It's the owner of the vineyard. He keeps coming. And and at first you think, is he just stupid? Does he not know how many people it's going to take to to, to bring in the harvest? I mean, what's wrong with this guy? He keeps going back out there. No, he knows. Is he getting those people because he needs them at 5 o'clock in the evening to work for one hour? No, he's getting them because he loves them. He has compassion on them. He cares about them. That's the whole point of the story. Jesus is the one who said, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. I have come to seek and to save my little lost ones. That's Jesus. And so verse 8 unlocks the whole parable, beginning with the last and then moving to the first. And this is where the parable and the proverb begin to touch. He pays those who came last a denarius. Now to get a denarius for the whole day was insane, was incredible for an unskilled worker like they were. But to get a denarius for one hour, unbelievable. And so he gives that to them. And then so when those one hour workers get the denarius, they're stunned. They're probably thinking, this got to be a mistake. But I'm not saying anything, right? The ones who've worked 12 hours in the heat of the day, 
They literally says in the scorching heat of the day. And in Israel, if you're ever over there, during the day, it gets really hot in the summer. At night, it cools off kind of like Southern California. So that last hour would have been a breeze. But the heat of the day was tough. And so they think they're going to get a whole lot more. You know, if they got a, well, we'll probably get like maybe 12. They got a denarius for one hour. We're going to get 12 denarii. Wow, that's going to be awesome. And he gives them one denarii. Denarius. Why, does, why do they complain? Wouldn't you complain? I'd complain. But then he looks at him and says, this is what we agreed to, right? I mean, this is what we talked about. This is, th- this is what it's all about. When they received it, they grumbled, and they, they, they grumbled at the landowner. Is your eye envious because I'm generous? Is your eye evil, actually is what it says, the evil eye? Because I'm generous. Are you envious? Does my compassionate kindness toward others. See, when we think it's all about us, it's all about fairness. It's all, but when it's all about him, he can do whatever he wants, however he wants. If we're the main character in the story, then it's got to be, you know, I used to read these sci-fi novels and I would love it. I would get all into it. But I was always, I would see myself again as the hero. I'm Luke Skywalker, right? You know, and, it, and it's like, no, you're just the character on page 112 through 114. And that's okay. Because you get to be in the story. It's such an incredible story. It's worth giving your life to. Even if it doesn't center around you or revolve around you. The last shall be first and the first last. Everybody finished the same. Everybody got the same pay. Everybody got the same What's the point? What's he trying to say? He's saying, you know what? We're a big family together. This story's all about me. Some of you really stressed out right now because you thought it was about you. Some of you right now are going like, well, what about my rewards? Remember, that's what the disciples were saying. Well, what about us? We gave up everything and followed you. You know what the Bible in the book of Revelation says about the rewards? This is how big the story is. This is how big grace is. That some of you, you've been so faithful and for so long. And you've carried all these burdens for God. And you've really sought his kingdom full out. And he says he's going to give you the crown of life. And he's going to give you a crown of righteousness. And he talks about all these different crowns. You know what the Bible says we're going to do with them when we get to heaven? Because we're going to see how awesome God is and how big the story is. And that we get to be a part of it is just insane. It says we're going to get to heaven and we're all going to take these crowns that we got. Some didn't get any. Some didn't get much. But some got a whole lot. But everybody even that got a crown is going to come before him. And they're going to bow down on their knees. And they're going to take off their crowns. And they're going to lay them down at his feet. He said I wouldn't even be here. Except that you gave me the breath in my lungs to praise you. It's all about you. And it all goes back to you. And all of a sudden, we're all at the finish line together again. Nobody with a crown on their head. All of us back in the same place together. Because it's not about us. Did you think you were going to get to heaven and walk around and go, check out my crowns, man. (laughs) Your crown looks pretty lousy. Check that out. You see, that attitude is not even... At all in God's kingdom. That's not what it looks like. It's all about him. 
And we're going to praise him and we're going to honor him. We're going to get to rule and reign with him. We get to be a piece of the story. How exciting is that? Robert DeMore in The Banner, he, he says this. Let me just read it to you. He said, back in Ontario, when the apples ripened, mom would sit all seven of us down, dad included, with pans and paring knives. We worked until the mountain of fruit was reduced to neat rows of filled canning jars. She never bothered keeping track of how many we did, though the younger ones undoubtedly proved more of a nuisance than a help. Cut fingers, squabbles over who got which pan, apple core fights. But when the job was done, the reward for everyone was the same. The largest chocolate-dipped cone money could buy. A stickler might argue it wasn't quite fair, since the older ones actually peeled the apples. But I can't remember anyone complaining about it. You see, a family understands that it operates under a different set of norms than a courtroom. In fact, when the store ran out of ice cream and my youngest brother had to make do with a popsicle, we all felt so sorry for him, despite his lack of productivity. He had eaten all the apples he had peeled that day, both of them. God wants all his children to enjoy the complete fullness of eternal life. No true child of God wants it any other way. See, we get to do this together. What a cool thing. What a privilege that we get to grab each other's arms and we get to pull each other together. And we get to say, oh, I see you falling down on the track. That's okay. Come on, we'll get you up. And one on each side pulling up. And then I fall down and you pull me up. And then someone falls down over here. Oh, we just keep going together and we finish together. We finish. We can do this. This is the story. It's huge, it's big, it's amazing. We get to be a part of it. And then we get to go around the globe and, and we get to go grab the Batwa people in Burundi. And we get to say, come, you're part of the family, be a part with us. And we grab them and pick them up. And then if we stumble, they pull us back up and we keep going. I mean, it just keeps going. And then we cross the finish line together and the first is also last but the last is also first it doesn't matter does it because it's the story that matters it's his story not my little petty drama let me just kind of retell the story i want you to think about it for just a minute sarah she's Way back 2,000 years ago, she's sweeping out her little dirt floor of the little hut she lives in. Her husband, Jacob, he's just a day laborer. And they're the poorest of the poor. Little Rebecca runs up. She's five years old. And she says, Mommy, I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten in two days. Do you think Daddy's going to bring home some food today? And Sarah knows that Jacob's not because she went to get water at 4 o'clock and he was still standing out there. No one had picked him up for the day. She says, we'll see, honey, we'll see. As she keeps on sweeping. Then, finally, sometime after six o'clock, Jacob comes busting into the house and his arms are full. He's got figs. He's got, he's got loaves of bread. He's, he's got a half of a big round of cheese. And, and, and he's going, we're going to eat tonight, y'all. He said, I got work today and Sarah's going like 
I, I don't understand. I saw you. I saw you still sitting in the market, standing in the marketplace at four o'clock. And he goes, "You're not gonna believe it. The owner of the big vineyard out there. He came at the very last minute. It was like five o'clock. And he said, "Why have you been standing here all day?" Because no one, no one thought enough of us to to grab us. And he says, "Come on, come work for me, and I'll give you what's fair." And he said, "Sarah, at the end of the day." He brought me up first. I'd only worked for an hour, so I was hoping to get a few pennies because I thought maybe I could bargain for a, like a little loaf of bread that we could at least give to Rebecca. And, 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 and I held up my hand, and he put a denarius in it. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And so I went to the marketplace, and I was so excited. And I bought a big round of cheese, and I bought six loaves of bread, and I brought about figs and all this stuff. And she said, well, Jacob, I noticed you only brought home half of a round of cheese and, and just three loaves of bread. He goes, oh, I, yeah, he said about that. Hope you're not mad, but on the way home, I passed the widow Elizabeth's house, and I know she doesn't have anything at all. She hadn't eaten in a while, and I just couldn't help myself. I had to give her, <laughs> I, just, I just dropped on her porch half a round of cheese and three loaves of bread and knocked on the door and ran off hope you're not mad Uh, Jacob I'm not mad I love you and I love that you're generous and then if we're the ones that have been out there all day are you envious that he got a denarius does that bother you you see it kind of changes what it feels like when you see the story really is your eye that evil that that you would begrudge that even though you got no that's not fair That's not right. God wants to do something amazing. And he's more than generous with all of us. And when he gives us anything that he gives us, we get to go and we get to spread that and share that and be a part of that. And it all goes back to him. I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. You see, the truth is when this actually hits you, The world is not about you. You're living a telenovela. It's too petty. It's too small. It's full of drama. It's way overacted. It's a big story. You get to be a part of it. I know we're all just little minor characters. That's fine. That's good. That's okay. You know how freeing that is? It's his story. We get to be a part of it. I'm telling you. For me, as that soaked in over the last couple of months, it's changed me. And it'll change you as you get it. And I've asked the band to come back out. I've asked-